the mother-loving future show hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose, two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting, deeper relationships, healing ourselves into radiant health and epic answers to age-old enigmas. Get ready to get your mind blown. Because this week's episode starts in three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show. It truly is an energetic explosion on today's episode. Amber and Jenna here, and we are with a very, very special guest, Jane Ann Thomas, who is stepping us through the topic spirit animal totems and the symbolic language of nature. Oh my gosh, what a treat. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jane. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We're thrilled to have you. Jenna, would you like to start off with a bio before we get into the juiciness of one of my favorite topics in the world? (laughs) Yeah. So just to introduce Jane to everybody, Jane Ann Thomas is, as an artist and a mystic practitioner, the House of Standing Moons, Jane Ann Thomas stands at the living intersection of nature and the supernatural a mediator between worlds seen and unseen, possible and impossible, with an especially strong bond to the animal kingdom and a profound knowledge of mystical traditions informed by a lifetime of intensive study. Over a span of 16 years living in Los Angeles, her journey took her from art historian to archivist to artist to intellectual to intuitive, from muse to medium and full-time mystic. You can follow her through her website, standingmoon.com, where you can sign up for her new newsletter and receive, uh, reserve time to experience her work directly. Jane offers one-on-one and group readings in the Santa Fe area, personal remote session work for clients around the world, as well as traveling totem tours and Vedic astrological immersions. Oh my gosh. And a lots of good stuff there. <laughs> Is there anything you don't do? In in the mystical world and healing arts, this is incredible. Enigma. Oh, thank you. It's it's been a journey, to put it lightly. Oh, I definitely sounds has. like a journey. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's start with a definition on this topic because it's a very mysterious topic and something I've always been interested in, but not quite been totally clear on. So, Jenna, why don't you hit us with your definition? Okay, so my definition. Um, for this, which could not be fully right on. And Jane, you'll have to let us know if you want to add anything. But so spirit animal totems and the symbolic language of nature. The body of nature is the body of the goddess. Our planet and all of nature's creatures are alive with spirit and consciousness if we have the eyes to see it. When we open ourselves up to the symbolic language of nature, we can see signs and communication from spirit and the vast consciousness of the planet itself guiding us towards our greatest path and expanded consciousness. Mm, Beautiful. What what about you, Jane? What do you you think about that? Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'll I'll say that first. there's so many, so many beautiful threads in a single sentence like that, or a single thread, uh, where you can really see. There's a very old saying that um, it gets a little political by nature, but saying that you can always tell uh, how a society um, treats its women 
by how it treats nature and the land. Mm. So they often say in the old ways that a way of uh, sort of judging the integrity of a government was by looking at how it treated the land and by virtue of that, how it treated women in its society. Hmm. So it's an interesting gauge to connect the concept of the goddess or the embracing of the concept of the earth as a feminine entity, as a, as a receiving entity. And I think it says a lot about where we are when you, when you look at this sort of, uh, a sort of uprising of, of this energy and a, and a bringing forward the voice of both nature and our receptive side in the same era, because that's what we're, we're really all grasping for at this time and seeking to sort of resurrect in ourselves. If you're male or female, you're still looking at the receptive where it hasn't been heard, where it hasn't been supported. And how can we sort of dig our hands in the mud and exhume what has been lost in the collective during that time? And really animals um, become such an active symbol for us because they are animate in the way that we are. Uh, we share so much biochemistry with all the forms of sentience on the earth at this time, if they are animate or not, but that is kind of a separate conversation. I think we inherently uh, sort of first, if we're at the beginning of our journey with this subject matter, animals are sort of the easiest for us to access in a certain way, even if you've never approached the mystic before simply because we are sharing so much biochemistry with these beings. That, and we've all had these immediate experiences. They live in the 3D the way that we do. Uh, most people had a pet in some form or visited the zoo <laughs> or had a really dramatic encounter with uh, the animate natural world as a child. So there's something that is very uh, primal. It connects to a very primal space in our cause, primeval, some would even say, just so ancient. Our connection to this, we breathe together. We make sounds together. We recognize each other from places that we can't fully explain. And one of the beautiful things in the, in the very, very old teachings is that animals are considered the greatest teachers of heart. They're often given the title of the guardians of the cave of courage, hmm. which is, of course, core heart to take you back to the heart, the kind of journey that takes you deep within yourself. So to look into the eyes of an animal, even if it's just a domesticated animal that you have a bond with, if it's a dog or a cat or a turtle or a fish, you can look into the eye of that being and some aspect of your cellular makeup will recognize itself and will learn to listen. Will learn to not just listen, but hear and to see and to feel and to communicate without words. These things that are universal. And it takes us back to these very, ultimately very psychic or intuitive spaces where you realize how much of the natural world is actually operating off of what in the past has been called your gut instinct. <laughs> They're great teachers of gut instinct. And when we, as we navigate as humans in, in our current uh, climates, uh, very digital, very hyper-stimulated, very demanding schedules, we get caught up 
very easily. And we forget about uh, even our own relationship to our body is a profound thing to reclaim at this time. And often you'll find similarities between the quest to reclaim the body and specifically the request, the, the quest to reclaim the feminine body. And then the quest to reclaim our relationship to nature are all sort of the same dialogue at this point. Such a good point. Totally. Mm. And so this is how closely they all get, in t- get tied together because our bodies is just another, uh, another wheel of relationship with the body of the earth. Mm. So when we tear at her, we tear at ourselves. Totally. And this, this relationship to um, a kind of kindness, a gentleness, an ability to listen, an ability to negotiate uh, really comes into play in a profound way in this time. So I think connecting to what, you know, the dialogue gets called a great many things like spirit animals um, or uh, shamanic intuition or gut feeling. And a lot of times when we feel we've lost that connection, working with animals, even in your mind, even when you meditate and you just see if, if there's a particular animal you relate to. Um, when I was little, giraffes were very, <laughs> very strong for me. I had like, you know, a, a stuffed giraffe that was like my bestie. And, mm. you know, you might see a circle of those animals around you when you meditate and it will, it will bring something to you that you couldn't really access always by yourself. So oftentimes when you feel that loss of connection, they'll say even to work with a circle um, energetically or, or mentally or astrally with animal realm can bring you quite a bit of connection to that part of yourself that you wouldn't normally neuropathologically give yourself permission to access. So that can often be a conduit in ways that are very needed um, that surprise you, but they often come with teachings of their own and (laughs) entire wisdom schools of their own Mm -hmm. that it's very, that's a, that's a whole other surprising realm. And you realize why cross-culturally, if it's from the Vedas to ancient Kelsha to Native America um, to Siberia, you know, you, you see this these teachings that surface Mm -hmm. and many of them are so old and it's shocking to see how many of them say the same things about different animals at different trees, uh, different stones. I mean, right now the crystal world is very popular, but um, they're all different aspects of the same thing. Even the earliest forms of divination guidance and healing involved consulting the natural world. So you would consult the bones, you would mm-hmm. consult the stones, you would consult the animals um, and ancestors. So all of these things get tied in together as different um, arms or different languages existing inside the same mm. voice, essentially, which we all share. So it is a profound connective tool at a time of great dislocation in our collective so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to visit for multiple reasons. And sometimes we, we start small, you know, it just feels like, I don't know, I always liked turtles. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I loved seeing them, you know, I, I swam with them once or you have certain experiences um, and it just starts really, really, really small, but it grows into something 
that is far more healing and far more expansive and connective than you could have imagined before. It was certainly the case in my experience. Oh my gosh. Beautifully stated. Totally. Guys, I just had a total epiphany. I I I, I gotta get a dog. Already? I, I, I gotta get a dog. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been avoiding it because of my humanness of oh, we travel so much, it's gonna be inconvenient and XYZ, the house is gonna be I'm like, no way, life is too short. I need my little divination tool right there in front of me, helping me be more in touch with my innate nature of connectedness with animals and nature and God speaks through them. And they are heart openers. And I don't want my son and little nugget here on the way to miss out on that healing connection to nature and animals. I'm, I'm totally going to get a dog. You've convinced me. Oh my, <laughs> my husband's going to kill you, but I'm just like, we're getting a dog. <laughs> That's my, my greatest honor, I would say. Um, You'll have to name the dog Jane <laughs> I love that. <laughs> even better, even better. You- I love it. I mean, I had, I, it's actually very, speaking of connection and, and intuition, it's very, very psychic of you without even knowing it, Amber, that you would mention that because dog in general is one of the biggest teachers in Jenna's chart, which we'll be talking about later. Yeah, damn you, Jenna. <laughs> so yeah. So we're we're threading in a, a very, very powerful concept. And it's it's um even even a, a powerful teaching around dog and and the um in the old ways you might call it the medicine or the teaching or the gift that that animal is said to carry really takes us back again to a doubling of the theme mm. of heart because dog in general represents, um, by many definitions, universal love and lessons around love loyalty. Love. <laughs> yeah, love and loyalty. And I can't think of anything, especially unconditional love, uh, particularly unconditional love, which is more mm. needed at this time and is often misunderstood as a virtue. It's often misread as oh no 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 not over here which which tells you a lot about um, how needed it is in this time and and what a role it plays in the um, reclamation of the feminine because of course we think initially of your your first and most understanding teacher would always be the mother mm-hmm. traditionally so and many men step into that role. In, 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 you know, definitions of family across time and space, but traditionally it is considered a feminine sphere. So it's, it's again, this kind of doubling of, of all the things that we talked about earlier. So it's very exciting that you would say. Would <laughs> uh, I'm tapped in, baby. You're not the only channel around here. Tapped in. <laughs> Universe speaks through me. Um, but a very exactly. selfish question before we get into the real deep, amazing stuff. Any recommendations on a breed? Like, is that whole process <laughs> so shallow? I'm sorry, but not really, because Austin this Terrier. is all part of allowing the intuitive nature to guide me towards what I, what needs to be revealed to me and my lessons and my healing, right? So how would the process go if I was to get a dog? Is there, a, uh, like, is there some type of guidance around the dog chooses you? And what, just what breed do I pick? What dog should I get, guys? <laughs> I, I think you'd look really cute with like a doodle, oh like a labradoodle, because my, you'd have like curly blonde that's hair. That's exactly just like what you. I was thinking, but then I thought, no, that's really narcissistic. 
Why would I get a dog that's just like me? Shouldn't I get a dog that's like balances me out? But I do love Labradoodles. I think the yeah. Okay, I'm going to get a doodle. Doodles are highly intelligent. Just going to say, all right, putting that out there, and and very very uh, beautiful combination of softness with their people and you know loyalty and And guardianship with you know what i think you should choose an animal that you think is going to activate the things in you that you need to grow towards like if maybe if you're a little bit serious you want to get a labradoodle so you can it activates the play and the lightness or you know well you're all that's why i'm thinking it might so maybe you should get a a very (laughs) serious dog Totally, those really grumpy ones, the the snappy little ones, or the small dog syndrome ones. You know, the really grumpy ones. Anyway, let's thank you so much, guys, just for that guidance and insight. I'm and convincing, not that you needed to, but I'm getting a dog. So, uh, Jane, I really (laughs) wanted to bring attention to something you said earlier, which I think is fascinating and such a fresh perspective because I've never heard it before, but it rings so true in my heart. You drew a correlation between how, you know, ancient ancient traditions and their perspective on seeing how men and the worldly systems treat the land and treat the animals or how they treat the feminine. So, that totally makes sense to me. Where do you think we currently are in our worldly systems if we're looking at it through that lens? Oof. Oh, I definitely don't want to get too weak <laughs> because I'm very, I'm very hopeful. But I'll be honest and I will say um, if you follow the rhythms of time, we are in what is generally considered to be the lowest of the low. Um, and 2012 marked the, the the beginning of the change, just sort of uh, going from, you know, what would be like the medieval era to now, uh, very, very much dark ages in in terms of our treatment of the land and the feminine is sort of the, the, the height of exploitation is generally considered to be now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always rare. darkest before That's the right. dawn. Exactly. And that's the point that I would make. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing because it takes you back. If you're really looking at things in terms of the, the long game or the big picture or reincarnational selves, what we're looking at is a time where you kind of have to be, <laughs> by my definition, very hardcore to be born right now. <laughs> because it's kind of like the like consciousness has sent in its super troopers right now to really roll up the sleeves and say, here's where this stops and here's how it changes. And this is what the face of that reclamation looks like. So we are really the bringers of this new dawn. We are the people who have signed on and it also means we have the karmic signature. So we know that we have played a part in this story on all sides. Yes. No, that's amazing. And clearly we can handle it. Like we're (laughs) all warriors. We have that within us because we've chosen to be born at a time where we need to be the path cutters to create a new paradigm. So. And it would be our dharma to do so. So there's, it's not an accident that we would, you know, be in our 
prime for 2012 and beyond, that we would be the, the, the people for whom yes. we were made for this, essentially. We were made for this dialogue. We were made for this moment. We were made to be the people who are unafraid of the past, unafraid to name it and look at it and reshape how we want to move going forward. And that means bringing back mastery from our our, our deepest selves um, and, and really looking at the collective heart, the collective uh, beauty, the collective intelligence available to us, which of course, when you really tune in, also includes both supernatural intelligence, but uh, terrestrial intelligence of all kinds. So we are just one voice in a sea of, uh, of, of multidimensional consciousness, which is all trying to um, speak itself through us and through our experience, but most importantly, through our hearts mm, and so our ability to be mm, compassionate with beautiful. each other. So I agree. It is, it is the dark age, but it's definitely time to, to activate. So Jane Ann, tell me, what is the origin of spirit animals or totem animal wisdom? This is a fantastic question and it's a big one. So I'm going to do my best to answer in a way that allows us to really enter the, the, a sense of timeline or logic <laughs> into <laughs> a realm that can, as we were saying earlier, privately can just very quickly become quite a wormhole. Um, so to answer, you know, the origin of totemic wisdom of the animal world at its core relates to the wisdom of nature itself. So its origin is really as old as the evolutionary wisdom of the natural world, which is huge. And it evolves from the question of what is our place in it? You know, and we look at this place and it, it points back to a really holistic worldview, really of the interrelatedness of all things. And obviously this is a massive topic, but in a nutshell, it goes back to a very basic concept that ties our earliest survival as a species with our belief systems. You know, our mm -hmm. worldviews are born from our experience. So when you think about it, when humans first entered the earth scene, we really thrust into a world in which nature very clearly dominated human experience. You know, for for all the 70s and 80s babies out there, just think Land of the Lost or... <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic you know, Park, maybe. Yeah, for 90s babies, it's Jurassic Park. So, you know, from that very primal place, you know, any concept of what we would call, quote, spirit is wholly and intrinsically enmeshed with our ability to survive, adapt, and eventually thrive. So what later becomes wisdom begins as very practical, but highly nuanced sense of survival. And it's interesting to note how, you know, as we evolve or arguably devolved, <laughs> we have slowly compartmentalized these aspects of self that we call body, heart, mind, and soul, you know, or um, emotion, health, intellect, and spirit. And now thousands of years later, we're discovering how flawed and actually damaging or perhaps more appropriately limiting that worldview is because it goes against a foundational truth that we're only able to achieve optimum health, well-being, and both collective and personal potential when we integrate all these aspects of our being. 
So it's, it's funny how we divest ourselves of certain truths, you know, only to come back to them, right? You mm-hmm. know, that's the classic hero's journey. So we really, in the midst of considering ourselves so civilized or evolved because of our cell phones, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we learn that they are really doing what we were already capable of without them. Mm. And, you know, that includes remote viewing, <laughs> telepathy over great distances, taking pictures, or, or even just plain remembering things now. But <laughs> all of these skills that we consider supernatural now, to one degree or another, our ancestors were doing, you know, writ large from the beginning and didn't consider them special at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. What we think of as like modern humans or, you know, homo sapiens really came around about 200 or 300,000 years ago. And we only developed the capacity for language about 50,000 years ago. So we figured out all kinds of ways of communicating with ourselves and the world around us before we could even speak so much as a word, much less text to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those abilities never went away. They just became sort of genetically dormant for us or for many of us. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what they're all about, the common thread of all of these skills is connection. And it's linked to survival. So when we go back to an origin story, we really burst, you know, humans kind of burst onto the scene uh, here on Earth side. And (laughs) we're thinking, you know, one of the first things our ancestors noticed is we did not get here first. Some of the oldest human cosmologies all acknowledge an evolutionary chain of wisdom. And it starts with the elemental world. You know, you got fire, water, earth, and air. Then there's the mineral world. You have the stones, the crust, the foundation, fault lines, tectonic, you know, negotiations and land masses appear. Then you have the fungal world, and you have like gigantic fungal forests for a long time. That's all the planet was. (laughs) Then you have the plant world, then the animal world, and finally, the last of the last are the humans. It's us. And when you get to that way of thinking of things, you realize that we're really the children of the children of the children of the children. Yeah, we got to be put in our place a little bit more. Yeah, if you think so. about it, we're like last of the party over here. Really, yeah, there's a lot to learn from our ancestors, people who were there before us. Yeah, we are. We're like the runaway teenagers who think we know everything. Oh my yet. gosh, that juvenile delinquent mentality. <laughs> I tell you, nothing good comes from that. Yeah, and you can really see, you know plainly in plain terms that like for a dolphin, for example, has had several million years of evolutionary uh, process over us. It has had far longer to perfect itself. So they become our elders. And this is, this is why you can find, you know, the first peoples of the Amazon commonly referred to river dolphins as our ancestors. And they quite literally are. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, we share biochemistry and we are, in effect, different combinations of the same material. Mm. And this is a bond. And it's one that goes deeper than it appears on the surface. So there's this sort of thing when you go to like a foreign territory, Jurassic Park style, you know, is you look around and you see the way things are done. And you say it's sort of this like win in Rome mentality, right? So when we do that, we, we observe, we learn 
what should we prioritize? What's the best adaptive response to this environment? You know, what's, what's the protocol in this crazy place? So ultimately, the highest levels of cognitive intelligence come from observing nature first. It's the first thing we did. Mm-hmm. So nature becomes our sort of first systems model. It's, it's this crazy, brutal teacher and our first nurturer. It really becomes our first feeder. And um, in that way, you know, this is why we call it Mother Earth for many people. So animal wisdom becomes this symbolic, spiritual, or just practical way of looking at the living body of wisdom that predates us and becomes interwoven with the story of our beginnings as a species. Mm. So it's very... It's so old that we've forgotten how old it is. Wow, beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, and I I can imagine that as we live a life more in a concrete jungle, further going further down that matrix um, wormhole, as you like to say, the further away we get from living in nature and with the animals, I can imagine we're getting further away from remembering how connected we are and how much there is to learn and that intrinsic bond with nature and it's um it's frightening i think that we're heading in a direction where where we're missing out on the fundamental rules of <laughs> life as yeah. human cooperating with like the the bigger more intelligent forces which i believe is nature and and animals mm-hmm. but there are some tribes when i think about spirit animal and totem animal wisdom i think about native americans obviously it dates back from the beginning of the time but Native American Indians seem to have a um, a strong connection with this way of being and kept that wisdom and information and those rituals alive more so than most other tribes. And that's a complete, you know, I'm just making that up, but that's what it seems like in my perspective. So can we, can I ask you about the Native American Indian tribes, how would they use animals to to communicate messages of importance to them? Well, it's it's an interesting thing because it it interlaps with so many other cultures at the same time. But we really do place, I think, in um, you know modern modern parlance, we we think of um, spirit animals as being something that a tradition that was most um, commonly kept alive by in, in the first peoples of the Americas, but it was definitely, um, has still been passed down in, um, Celtic shamanism as well as in India with the Vedas and and the role of animals in, uh, spiritual practices there as well. But if, if we are sort of taking that banner and, and bowing to the tradition, of the First Nations of America, then we really look at uh, a worldview that acknowledges the primacy of nature, nature as first mother, as teacher, as elder. And that's that's part of um, a space where we are taken out of the realm of modern conveniences and placed back into a space where nature can speak to us again. And when we allow ourselves to be to uh, to listen and to observe, um, we'll find that a lot of the connections that naturally happen go straight to the heart, and that is really in the indigenous te- 
teachers and teachings that I have had access to, the main um, message has been one of heart. And that, that the role of the animal kingdom is to teach the humans to keep their heart open and to maintain that if, if you were going to you know, try to summarize it in a nutshell, they are considered the teachers of heart. And this is the place where we can become more empathic. We can become compassionate again. We become less rigid, less um, sure that we know everything. Uh, animals teach us to drop our rigidity and acknowledge uh, intelligence beyond our own. In some ways, that's very primal yeah. because they can eat you, and that's a very simple. <laughs> yeah, be be careful about them eating you. Yeah, right. But are there animals that represent specific ideas or messages? For instance, like would if a um, say a deer crossed your path, would that symbolize that a stranger is going to come into your life soon? You know, I'm I'm clearly romanticizing it, but just to give the audience like a clear idea about how they used animals in a practical way to navigate their way through the world, did, did specific animals have specific meanings? Absolutely. Over time, you know, we've had a lot of time to pass this wisdom down to each other um, and, and to really pass it through our hearts. So it, it has developed a kind of collective universal body over time that you can see when you study a lot of different cultures that there are, there are through lines. So something like deer is a, is a very popularized uh, prey animal. So it represents a very, what some people might call this sort of selfless aspect of nature. And it's, it's a teacher of vulnerability and commonly uh, becomes suggestive of the need to develop qualities of gentleness, of tenderness. And there are a lot of um, stories about that. There are whole pantheons of animals that sort of become relegated to, to that realm. But deer in particular, if you, if you see that or you find that, you know, deer are literally walking up to your door a lot. Um, you know, someone in that realm might suggest that as a starting place. But I do think it's important to note as well that once you develop really deeper connections, like if, if, if you really are developing a relationship with this being, these definitions, even if it's, you know, the, the oldest shaman, you, you go to Peru and have a profound experience and they say, you know, here's where to start. That's really all they can tell you because it is a jumping off point. And these relationships become very, very personal over time, especially if you really greet them with mm-hmm. reverence. And um, they, they will continue to unfold larger messages, um, especially if you are aware of um, it's some in a, a sort of more advanced way of looking at it would be if, if you're aware of the directions in their meaning, then you would notice what direction they come from uh, or where they tend to settle around your home or um, the events around which they tend to show up. Um, You'll start to see the way that these symbols and codes are speaking to you through that animal. The animal becomes a sort of avatar Mm. for um, other beings. Sometimes they're ancestors, sometimes they're um, beings that have never come in human form. Sometimes they are 
angelic. Sometimes they are, you know, like I said, brutal teachers. Um, but all of these kind of coalesce to really invite you to see them in multiple, uh, in a, in a multidimensionality that they really can own when you greet them mm. that way. So if I got a spirit animal book <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes. it went through every animal in the world and it said crows mean X, Y, Z and spiders mean X, Y, Z. Basically what you're saying <laughs> is that sure it can have a blanket association with something but don't disregard your own personal interpretation of what that means to you and how you perceive that animal and there are there are ways around how that animal comes into play under what situations uh, whereabouts in the house it comes or how often it comes that will add to that meaning is, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in a way, there's this sort of underlying message that becomes very important the more you go into esoteric studies and the more uh, you become a real seeker of these types of um, teachings is that ultimately these 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 beings are all here to point you back to your own stuff. Into your heart, by the sounds of it. It seems yeah. though animals are these conduits of the earth and the earth comes is a heart-based being. And so it's just re yeah. reflecting back to us the power of making a life and decisions and being a person of the heart. Absolutely, absolutely. And no so question. how does one discover their spirit animal totem? Because, and you're going to have to school me on this term because I once got an <laughs> Aborigine shaman healing. <laughs> Let's start there. Great oh, story. And wow. it was really yeah. beautiful. And his his technology or his way of um, accessing those healing realms was to go into the dream time and he would see what came to him, almost a channel between that space and the realm I was in called earth. And he would deliver any messages that I needed to hear. And he, uh, my animal totem um, came to him in that space and it was a, um, a, a leopard. And no, it was a leopard or a cheetah. Oh, you see, there we go. No, I think it was a cheetah. It, it was a cheetah. And <laughs> he explained to me that my spirit totem is a cheetah and that, and I said, what does that mean? And he's like, well, you have a spirit around you. And whenever you need to tap into the energy of the cheetah, which is fierce, protective, quick, it, it, it can be something you can call upon in earthly moments when you're needing an extra bit of protection. And so he framed it to me in a way which was quite practical for me to apply to my everyday life. And I remember living in Venice, California, as in the times it's becoming gentrified. So there's still some grit and edge on the streets, which I like, but sometimes it's a bit scary. And I remember walking down the street mm -hmm. one day and this person was walking towards me and they didn't look completely sane and they looked a little bit dangerous. And as they were walking towards me, I got quite scared. I could just feel this like heavy energy coming at me. And within my own head, I just said, I call upon you, cheetah. And 
roared <laughs> in my yeah. head and the guy crossed the road. <laughs> yep. He, he yep. literally changed his course of direction and I I have a feeling it was my totem animal that scared him away. So do you have some practical ways for people to understand what their totem animal is and the best ways to use it? Absolutely. I I love the example you gave. Um, I have my own version of a, a very similar thing um, that I tried as well when I was first learning um, about this world. And it was really shocking, the results, because in a way they do become um, extensions of our chi, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so, so they become the, um, physical manifesting fulfillment, even if they are not themselves physically present, they become the, um, uh, the, the mm. venue we channel through them. which that energy and intentionality becomes mm-hmm. manifest. And, uh, that's an important thing to notice that even though they are very real and live among us, uh, that our connections to them and to the energy field that they represent and to the intentionality that they represent, um, really can, uh, can have this like wild bilateral mm. application. <laughs> but, um, so the question really, you know, begins with, you know, how does one, if, if you're not in a position um, of having these incredible encounters with a shaman, you know, how do you discover the spirit animal? And, you know, I, I would begin by saying, you know, we all have experiences with animals, but distinguishing, distinguishing that from a sort of singular or mundane experience and arriving at a particular bond of a, of a teacher or an ally relationship with an animal totem, it really can come in a variety of ways. Um, but there are two things that I think it's important to note um, before going into enumerating those things. And one is not to limit yourself into thinking that if your animal connection didn't arrive in any of the particular ways that I'm going to enumerate, that it can't have that meaning to you. So it's important to remember that first. And the second one is really about perspective because a totem animal symbolizes a sort of entrance into a worldview, really. It's, it's one that acknowledges the primacy of the animal in the relationship. So we talked earlier about how they came first. <laughs> and in a way, this is a respectful way to recognize that from the outset and allow this relationship to kind of be lifted out of the realm of entertainment, mm-hmm. where it commonly goes, like, which Harry Potter house do mm-hmm. you belong to? <laughs> and into that of the reverence and true, you know, sort of gravity it deserves. Because when it's greeted with that reverence is when moments like you described with the leopard or the cheetah can really begin to, to come about. So there was some part of you that recognized, you know, he, that may have been given to you in a way, in a ritual way, but you greeted the animal. So that's one of the other notes. There's this kind of point of view that the animal really chooses mm, I you. I love that. Could, mm-hmm. And that's really the yeah. truth. <laughs> and that can be formally acknowledged. And then you can choose the animal and the bonding mm. begins. So it's almost like a marriage. You know, someone can propose, but you have to decide and choose them. Oh, it's just like too. Avatar when they yeah. choose their animal and they get the, <laughs> the little cord and 
that exactly. they bow to each other and exactly. the animal can accept them or not and then they're mates for life. And I can imagine exactly. that for people listening to this who as you said, don't have access to incredible shamans who are going to offer them their animal totem. Um, perhaps a, a great way would be to meditate on it and and pose the question to the ethers, who is my spirit animal? What is my spirit animal? I am open to receiving you and see if in dreams, in meditation, in real life, you're having these repeated occurrences around a specific animal. Maybe that's a good way to find your totem Absolutely. animal. Absolutely. Um, they can really come in a variety of ways, but they definitely respond <laughs> to direct requests. One of the things that I love about the natural world, it's very obvious, it's very direct. So it leaves very little room for kind of personal questioning in that way. Um, and, and really the, the, the ways that an animal can choose you I would say, you know, can begin in the physical, um, in the form of repeated appearances of a particular animal, the synchronous with certain events or themes in your life, or even particular events that can be either ecstatic or traumatic. Um, they also come in the form of mass visitation. And this can happen with a lot of like smaller birds, insects, or pack or pride animals where they you know, can collect together and physically surround you. That's On that clear. note, I have a um, crazy experience with hummingbirds, which I know represent new beginnings. Ooh. And every time I'm pregnant and every time we're moving or there's a massive thing going on in my life, I seem to have this little hummingbird that is hovering around just outside my window or I'm at a cafe and sh it's right there by my shoulder. And I don't know if it's because I know that means new beginnings and so I'm like looking for them, but they always seem to show up <laughs> no. in these transitional, beautiful birthing times of my life. So that's that's a, you know, wow. a cute little story that may inspire people to keep their eye out for if cats gravitate towards you or you know, hopefully <laughs> some mosquitoes definitely. or flies or anything annoying like that. But <laughs> no, but I know a lot of people who have um, who feel very strongly connected to like the locusts or butterflies or, um, you know, scarabs, uh, beetles of all kinds. Ladybugs are a really cute one, very innocent one. And they might seem like, oh, you know, that's something that just visits seasonally. But at the same time, um, when you're having these, like I said, these mass encounters, um, and, and they, they'll hit you, you'll feel it in your body, you feel it in your bones, you feel it in your gut, in your heart. Sometimes it moves you to tears. This is a spirit animal mm. relationship. I even have, um, they can be strong affinities that you just can't explain, even if it, it wasn't given to you or no one ever, you know, sort of sanctified it. Um, the, the, the emotional response and the depth of your physical reaction will tell you right away. I, I have, for example, um, a completely inexplicable, deep, deep love of the American goldfinch. <laughs> and I saw one for the first time in my adult life um, about two years ago. 
And I was so shocked to actually see this bird after loving it for no reason. Since I was a little girl from afar, I drew pictures and pictures and pictures of this animal. I did reports on this animal. I loved this animal and I never saw it. But when I did, you know, as a, you know, 38 year old, I, I just started bawling. Mm -hmm. I'm bawling. I was so happy. Oh, happy tears. (laughs) Happy tears. Oh, good. Yeah, it was just like the tears of ultimate joy. I couldn't believe um, what an effect it had. So, you know, these are very deep. And personal interpretations, clearly. Psychic ones. And I think it's it's important to give yourself permission for that space too. And um, in other cases, it can also come as like a near fatal encounter. Oh, wow. You know, (laughs) where, yeah, like the American Plains First Nations people called this counting coup, which is famously a reference to like prestige in battle or acts of bravery, uh, the teachings of warriorship. But when seen through the lens of like a predator prey dynamic, it's when the animal gets close enough to kill you, mm-hmm. but doesn't, um, you know, or, or attacks you, but then doesn't. Okay. Kill you. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's a really strong teacher, and in many cases, you you end up kind of it's like you've marked Interesting. each other. Interesting, and those are oh, absolutely. Like if you've ever um, a great storytelling example of that is the movie Legends mm-hmm. of the Fall. You know, Brad oh, Pitt yeah. plays Tristan, and he has this relationship with the bear. Mm, Tristan, <laughs> yeah, that movie's so good. <laughs> Come on, girls, you're on my page. I know you are. Oh yeah, <laughs> fanning, fanning oh, ourselves yeah. as we speak. But um, yeah, his big thing is the bear. You know, and and he he when he decides it's time to go, he he goes back to the bear that he's fought since he was a boy. So we find these things where. I had an, another time in my life where I um, had an encounter with a dog um, and it was this rescue pit bull who was absolutely adorable. I had a very long, loving relationship with many dogs in our family life and uh, even really loving relationships with pit bulls. So I'm in no way saying that pit bulls are all like this, but I was wow. bit in the face by a pit bull. And I was very, I'm very lucky wow. to have a face right now. Um, but it was a strong teacher and it, it woke up this kind of primal part of myself where we don't have a lot of experiences in our modern lives where something is like attacking our face. No, thank God. <laughs> you know, unless it's um, a really vicious facial, there's chemical peels are horrible and things like yeah. that. It kind of feels like an attack <laughs> on your face, but we choose it. It's voluntary. It does, I know. Yeah, yeah. But it's an adjustment of the relationship. It, it's very, very And so quick. what was the so, lesson? Um, what you know, what was the teaching? The teaching was definitely don't get don't put your face next to an animal that okay. doesn't know you. <laughs> you know, don't it's sort of a reminder of again that primacy. You know, I am my own being, I'm not a cute mm-hmm. cuddly toy. I don't know you. You need to respect that boundary. And, you know, I'm, I walked in very naively sort of wanting to treat the dog really well, knowing that it had been astray and wanting, I was ascribing all of these very human characteristics, almost like a a host who wants to make a guest Mm -hmm. feel very comfortable. (laughs) And I was going about it in a way that didn't respect the dog's need for, Mm -hmm. for distance. And, um, there were several cues and I'm normally very aware of these things. You know, I let it 
smell the back of my hand. I didn't lean in right away, but I put myself down, you know, floor level. And then the owner wanted to take a picture with me. So I put my arm around the owner. And as soon as I did oh, that, interesting. Um, the dog just leapt at me thinking that was an aggressive move towards its, 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 that's really interesting. So this, this brings up a great point. What I'm hearing is that spirit animals can be some, they're symbolic, obviously. So say they come with a symbology that awakens you to something that it, it may be reflecting something in your own life that you need to put your attention on. But there also seems to be this other facet to it where it has a message and it is a teacher and it may be wanting to communicate a message to you from your higher self, from the earthly realms, whatever it may be. It was such a strong teacher for me, such a (laughs) very physical reminder. Um, I I had a, you know, swollen eye. It looked like I had been beaten up um, I had my tooth chipped. I had to go get like dental work <laughs> and um, huge bruising all across the bridge of my nose. So it was the point where like I gasped and the animal's jaw went right into my mouth. So his mouth and was don't they have inside my mouth. Like they, they, um, so how did they, they get do. the dog off your face? It was, it, it was a small miracle. The dog it gave me what I guess would be called a warning bite where it just clamped down once wow. and then let go. So it wasn't a locked jaw. And that's, mm-hmm. that's why I say I'm lucky mm-hmm. to have a face. Um, but in that moment, I was very aware once the shock and the adrenaline wore off um, and I realized, oh, thank God I have a nose, et cetera. I realized that it was a, just the, one of the strongest possible teachings I could have about um, offering my loyalty and unconditional Beautiful. love too soon about offering it without acknowledging this animal's oh. need for distance. I was projecting an emotional, um, an emotional need to feel like I was doing something good for a stray animal onto a situation I could see it very directly related to the place that it happened. It was at a job that I had Mm -hmm. stayed at way too long that was no longer serving me. So my loyalty to the people that I loved and the people that I worked with in that environment was keeping me in a place that was also very limiting for me at the time. And it was a very clear reminder that it was time to go and that, that my loyalty and unconditional love were putting me in situations that were damaging to my long-term goals and dreams. So I saw all of that as a package deal <laughs> while I iced my face wow. for several weeks. And I almost lost a job because of that. I had, um, I had gotten an acting job and, um, we supposed to shoot, you know, like two days later. And it was, um, <laughs> it was a very wow, complicated situation inc- involving a lot of makeup at the time. Prosthetic <laughs> so face coming on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yes. What a beautiful but- practical way to apply the, the beautiful ancient wisdom of animal spirit technology uh, is to 
notice an animal. I'm, it's just all connecting in my head right now. So you notice an animal and the meaning of that is a knock on the door. And so the meaning makes you think, oh, where in my life have I got new beginnings? Oh, I'm being, I'm pregnant. That's right. I've got to be present with this beautiful new beginning. It's right here. It's right now. That little bird is reminding me, be present with the magic of new beginnings. And then perhaps the little bird knocks into my window and falls on the ground. And that could be a message because, you know, there's a meaning in a message. The message be take, like, know that they're precious and be careful and be um, tender with these new beginning phases, such as my pregnancy. So there's, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's a really great way to look at animals and, and the nature and the spirit world as guides and people and, I mean, little entities trying to remind us of what we need to pay attention to and how to evolve, really. Oh, yeah. And even, even instances, there are also cases where animals come in and later become guides after saving wow. your life. You know, there are lots of cases where animals come in and intervene in life-threatening circumstances. Um, you know, a really old example is dolphins, famously saving swimmers from drowning or um, divers from being attacked by sharks. Um, or if they come in and animals, you're given the opportunity to allow an animal to take an active part in the healing process. You know, they, they welcome, you know, like cats and dogs into hospitals now in certain um in certain ways so that and that amplifies people's healing. Um, it, they say that it um, accelerates people's release dates from, um, you know, recovery times um, really dramatically as well. So those are very active physical examples. But um, as you have in your own experience as well, you know, this, this non-physical aspect of the bonding is really big too. You have dreams. Um, I, I was initiated in a series of dreams uh, were very, very shocking to me when I did not know these things were real. Um, and it was very clearly not a normal dream. Um, so the dreaming life uh, for those of us who are connected to that can, is where they can enter and really speak to you very, very loudly mm. with strong opinions. <laughs> no, no ambiguity. Um, also rituals, um, initiations, uh, ceremonial healing. Um, in that way, they really help us engage these alternate realities, almost like we were talking about as, as avatars, you know, they, they speak for others who exist in liminal realms. If it's, you know, as we said earlier, ancestors, non-physical beings, or, um, in astrology, they even become extensions of planetary consciousness that guide us in the Vedas, um, which is a whole beautiful um, separate teaching. But they also represent, in a way, these unrealized energies within us mm -hmm. that are seeking manifestation. You know, they, um, they become these aspects of ourselves. Um, they're, they're an extension of our search for self or our journey into self. And our, our quest to sort of reclaim who, who we are or who we can be or to refine our gifts or really identify um, the steps to manifestation of, of a, a sort of self-realization. I love that. In many ways. And I'm sure that 
you know, nature does obviously not just include animals and us, but it's the world of trees and plants and flowers. And I can imagine that there is the same opportunity to learn from the trees and and the plants in our life that are trying to communicate with us, not just the animals. I mean, let's hope a tree branch doesn't fall on you for you to realize that you need to drink more chamomile tea or something. But what what has your relationship been, no. um, you know, translating or transporting this concept from animals into trees and plants? I guess that's where herbalism and, and tinctures and things like that come, we're literally absorbing the DNA of the plants and therefore tapping into the wisdom and information that are embedded in, in those trees and plants. Absolutely. And this is one of, um, one of my favorite topics because uh, it, was a, it was a very strong teacher for me and a big surprise in my journey when um, I started being called out into this super tiny garden I had in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And um, there was a eucalyptus tree and a mimosa tree. Uh, They would just fully speak to me and um, offer me phrases to tell people before they arrived. And many times the basis of, of the reading, the first things we would talk about would be the messages from the trees and the, um, the the birds of paradise plants that are so common out there, and I did not know that they could um, could translate to my gifts in that way. It was a really really profound extension of the practice. But in the same way, you know, herbalists have seen um, themes of certain plants. Like often, I will be um, hired to go out to a new property or to a new home, and one of the first things that I want to do is a walk the land. And I'm going to see what plants are growing there, you know, before you've mowed and landscaped. And, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to find land that hasn't been, you know, um, manicured, too overly manicured, you just want to see what's there. And there's some really interesting cases of people who have, um, who learn that they have some crazy liver disease. And then all of a sudden in this, their little backyard, out of nowhere, there's just tons of dandelion the next in the next uh, mm. spring or something like that. And um, in those cases, you know, they later learned the dandelion was exactly what they needed to cure their mm. liver disease. So there are a lot of instances like this where suddenly a plant will show up, suddenly um, trees will start sprouting in places when there is a need. And you find that nature does that a lot. There are certain plants that grow only where oh, no. land is I, I, disturbed. What does it mean if I have a black thorn? Because <laughs> no. plants do not thrive no. around me. I either overwater or I underwater. It's too much sun, not enough sun. Maybe that's a message to me saying that I need to be more intuitive and make decisions, including co-creating with the plant rather than just having a blanket term over all plants. Like all plants love sun and water. It'll be fine. Absolutely. And it evolves as you do, as it changes as your needs change too. So that's an important thing to note because we have spirit animals, we have plants, we have trees, we have minerals that we bond with really, really strongly with. And then um, some of them are not meant to stay for the whole ride. You know, some of them are lifelong and some of them are for a specific transition or a specific time period. And it can be kind of, you know, 
sad to know, but in, in a way, it's also beautiful because you realize they'll recognize that their time for teaching you has passed. And, and then they'll, you know, let you move into a new relationship. But I've seen really remarkable things, particularly with the plant world in regard to um, plants that suddenly show up. Uh, and it, sometimes people won't even go in with that relationship, but it's the discovery of these things that then welcomes them, you know, as a sort of gatekeeper into the truth of this space that we are actually mm -hmm. inhabiting with these beings. And, you know, the trees are particularly exciting too. That was the word that was synonymous with a uh, shaman to the Celts was druid. And that was based on the, um, the, the, the Celtic root for the word for the oak tree. So the oak tree, they were basically calling a, the Celtic shaman a, an oak tree, or they called them adders for the snake. So when you hear the old adage of St. Patrick driving the snakes out of Ireland, what it actually is is a reference to killing off the indigenous wisdom keepers of, of Ireland so Christianity could come in. So they're actually talking about getting rid of, of the, the ancient wow. wisdom keepers there, the Druids. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting how a lot of those old systems were used as code to protect endangered people and endangered, endangered wisdom keepers when conquerors came in. Um, so they would, to outside people, seem like they were talking about snakes in their backyard, but they were really saying, oh show gosh. up at eight. These intrinsically connected elements mm -hmm. that we're living with, such as what nature is trying to tell us and to know the history of it and to know our interconnectedness. And to me, it sounds like animals and trees and plants and our connections with humans are all beckoning us to develop our intuition and live a life guided by our intuition and to live in the heart. I mean, that's where the intuition lives is in the heart. It's kind of one and the same. And also to remember the connectedness yeah. because when you feel connected to something, you don't want to burn it down. You don't want to destroy it. You want to protect it. <laughs> and I think that we're at a tipping point in our evolution as a race at this point and an intelligence where we need to remember how connected we are to the oceans, to the animals, to the air, to the trees, because unless we remember <laughs> that connectedness and from that gain that respect, we're doomed. We're going down. We are on a sinking ship. So it's imperative <laughs> now more than ever. We yeah. remember how connected we are to the intelligence of the planet. So Wow, that was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. It has been such a pleasure, oh. such a fascinating topic. And yeah, really appreciate your time with us, Jane. Beautiful. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you both and to, to share this topic, which has completely changed my life <laughs> in beautiful ways. Thank you. I just want to honor both of you for that and to say how excited I am to have a part two um, as well. We'll definitely do that. My practice, absolutely. I'm, I'm so happy to share. I um, am developing a website. I have, I'm somebody who goes through long periods of time of incubation. So <laughs> I um, have been 
putting myself, I've, I've just had beautiful private clients for the last 12 years, and I really have not been largely in the public sphere. So this is a, a big new calling for me to open my practice in this way and to speak to everyone and to make it uh, a larger message for now, definitely. And I have a website, it's called standingmoon.com. Uh, and uh, you can make appointments with me online. You can also email me in, on the contact page as well. Um, I do. Uh, I am based in New Mexico currently. Uh, the land here is so is. so oh, profound. So magical to live here and learn from it. So um, I'm here most of the time. So a lot of people plan trips here. I didn't realize how many people traveled here from all over the world. And I see a lot of my New York and LA people while I'm out here too. And, and my, my European clients as well. But if you're ever planning a trip, you can always get in touch with me. We can plan things months in advance. Uh, people often like to make a reading a part of their trip out here because you can visit the amazing sites and then also have a session. It's a beautiful way to ground. But I also do traveling tours. So I visit uh, both the East and West Coast uh, annually. So you can sign up to be put on lists. Um, I have a newsletter and a um, sign up where you can tell me where you're located or you can, you can email me. Um, you can also follow me a little bit on Instagram. I'm not a huge regular poster because I'm But you have a gorgeous so Instagram. I mean, work. really beautiful. So people should oh. check that out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm a longtime student of, of the power of images. So I love to make them. <laughs> so uh, I find Instagram can be a fun, creative and inspirational tool in that way. Um, but you can follow me via that route and you can DM me on that as well. Um, but if um, I, I also have this beautiful offering because the, the other thing that took me out to New Mexico was to work with this incredible, astounding Vedic scholar, um, Eve James, uh, who is, is, she and I travel together and we do tandem readings. So it's, you get this, uh, very, um, very natural perspective and then you get the full on Vedic scholar side of things. So it's like having the, we often joke that it's the light and dark side of the moon sitting in front of you. It's very fun. So we do those things together for group readings and private readings. Uh, they're, they're really, it's very deep and very fun work. I like to laugh a lot, especially the deeper the material. <laughs> um, but definitely I find a lot of people who work with me come when they are ready to transform energy and when they are ready to bring forward gifts that they might not have felt comfortable with. A lot of people who are awakening right now and much like I uh, was back in 2000 seeing through walls, but didn't know who to go to or didn't know who to talk to. Mm -hmm. I find that I end up advocating a lot for people and giving them tools for how to navigate the awakenings that they're happening or the straight up visitations, <laughs> which is another conversation. But um, I feel very, very called to steward people into confidence and self-authority and really connect them with their own sovereignty and their own ability to decode the language of nature within Beautiful. their own signature. Oh, that is everything. That is everything. Um, so thank you so much for doing that work and for standing for that and, um, you know, for being a way shower in this time. And, um, you know, we see your work, we affirm you and we really salute you and we cannot wait to have you back for a second, second go. Thank you so much. Thank so real so quick, much. before we wrap up, I'm going to just um, give our, our listeners a little challenge or invitation. So for today, um, for our listeners, 
keep your eyes open to the, to the animal world. What animals are presenting themselves to you, are visiting you, are looking you in the eye? Um, just as Jane said that she was being visited, for example, by many blackbirds, was it crows and ravens? Um, is there any animal spirit that is, is visiting you and making themselves apparent in your life? Go deeper there and see if you can see what that connection is trying to establish for you or with you and, and go deeper. So that is our invitation for today. If you like this podcast, please share it. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. And, you know, we are out there trying to give you the freshest information. So hopefully it resonates. Take what resonates. Leave what doesn't resonate. And we will see you guys next Thank week. Thank you so much, Thank you Jane. so much for being on, Jane. We're going to have day. you back real soon. Thank you. Blessings. <laughs> Thank you.